right, welcome back to Hover Cars and Hard Problems, the podcast where we talk about difficult challenges in engineering and in simulation. I'm Josh. I'm Mary Kate. And I'm Kurt. And today we have Prith Banerjee with us again, author of the Innovation Factory and coincidentally CTO of ANSYS. Prith, welcome back. Good morning. Great to be back. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for joining us. Question for you to get, get the brain juices flowing here. What is the coolest thing that you've ever seen innovated, the most impressive innovation that you've seen in your lifetime? Well, I mean, it is its, its city, right? I mean, learning, understanding natural languages and anticipating, really understanding what it is that I'm looking for, right, and, and providing that assistance. It's pretty scary, and you have advanced versions of this with Alexa and so on, right? But basically listening to your conversation and, and helping you as if, there's somebody right there. Tremendous amount of technology has gone into it. People don't think about it, but it is an absolutely outstanding innovation. Perfect example. It, Perfect, yeah. It's, I, I don't know what I'd do without it. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was like the Polaroid picture. I'm like, instantaneous picture. This is innovation right here, right? But it's, it's amazing how we all look at innovation, how we see things that have been super impressive that has made an impact or made a mark in, in where we are. And, and speaking of making marks, right? Like you look at... Uh, what we do and where we go to learn. And and we always remember like this, something has made an inflection point or a change in our life that we remember to to move in this direction, right? And a lot of that comes from inspiration and a lot of it comes from education, right? It's, it's funny, uh, we have a very similar background. You know, you were a college professor, I've been a college professor, right? And, and surprisingly, I hate to say, not hate to say, but I have done, like I have taught just like you and everybody has a different teaching experience. Uh, and it's interesting, right? Uh, you know, there's all these different levels of 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 knowledge and what it is. Whether you're invocate, I've taught in vocational education, and you've taught um, a, a wide spectrum of things. But uh, share with us, like your transition to academia. Like, you don't wake up one day and say, "Oh, I want to become a college professor or teach at a college." Like, mine just happened to work out because I was in industry and I brought industry knowledge. So like, what was your path like to do that? And you did it for 20 years, right? Mine was a couple of years, but like, how did that, how did all that kind of formulate? Sure. So I did, I actually, when I graduated with a PhD, I started in academia and in a research university, there's sort of two broad objectives, right? One is you are trying to teach students, undergraduates, graduate students and so on and, and and sort of training them about new knowledge. And the second thing is to invent, to discover new knowledge, right? And this whole innovation factory is about, about that, right? So for 20 years, I first was a professor at University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. I was a Northwestern, I was a Dean of Engineering. So what I did is work with more than 30 PhD students, worked on some really hard problems to solve, right? And that was this converting money into science, right? More than 350 papers and, and so on. And I want to sort of really double down on, on, on all the great work on, on innovation that happens at universities. Let's take a step back at the Moderna vaccine, right? The whole world was struggling with COVID-19 and, and they really didn't know how, how to solve the problem. And people say, oh, Moderna and BioNTech came up with the vaccine, mRNA. That mRNA technology is actually based on the CRISPR technology, gene editing and so on by Professor Jennifer Dudna, right, at UC Berkeley. She worked on this top topic for more than 20 years. That was discovery, right? Funded by, by the National Science Foundation, NIH, and so on. Did she do a product? No. 
but she actually formed a basis of all the innovation, right? Where Moderna and BioNTech could actually come up. And they, that's just an example. Is, but it's not just Jennifer Doudna, right? She relied on work from 20 other professors over 20 years who were all discovering things. Everyone is trying to do a next discovery, right, on, on gene editing and CRISPR technology and so on. That's how innovation happens in academia. And I just want everybody to understand, right? People, they oh, he's just writing papers and so on, right? It is really inventing new stuff. Len Kreinrock, who is at, at UCLA, and, and he is credited by in, inventing the internet, right? I mean, he what he did is through 20, 30 years of hard work, he kind of showed to DARPA that, yes, it is possible to have computer interactions. And again, he just didn't do it on his own, based on many, many years. Did he make money on it? No. I mean, now this is the Amazons, the Googles of the world are actually making money. So my point is that academia is a great place to do truly what I call Horizon 3 brand new disruptions. You are thinking about the 5G communications, right? Those protocols for wireless communication that are actually invented in academia. But they don't make the products. The products are made by the Ericsson's and the Nokia's, right? So what I talk about in my book is how do you, right, if you're a large company, right, how can you actually form partnerships with these fantastic professors and graduate students and how do you transfer the technology from the universities to this, right? Transfer discovery into money. Mm -hmm. That is at the core of innovation. Now, one of the things that, uh, that, that I struggled with when I was in academia was I, I felt like I had all these 350 papers and none of them were really directly going into, into a, a, a product. And so I took that personal sort of, I, I jumped, I, I kind of started a company, actually started two companies, Chip and Banachip. And what I learned through that process is how you take an innovation, a discovery from a research lab in academia and go all the way to build a product. And that's what startups do. Startups do Horizon 3 innovation, right? Horizon, And they pick a niche area and they go all the way, make a product, right? Uh, which customers will actually pay money for. And again, I, I in Innovation Factory, I talk about the fact that how, again, large companies can learn, can partner to partnerships with, with startups and so on and, and, and bring Horizon 3 innovation to it. So, those are learnings from my personal experience that I shared in my book. It's fascinating, right? The, the learnings, the experiences, and then it comes down to like quantification of innovation. You talk about this, which stood out, right? Coming back to like, I'm a guy who consumes short, quick things, right? And, and I, that's what was really enjoyable about the book. And one thing that stood out was how you measure innovation, right? Like it's all about Great, there's in, there's inspiration and aspiration, but what is how do you measure success, right? And you talk about innovation is measured by both quantity and quality. You say quantity through publications, quality through author, through the author that has published their work, right? Can you elaborate a little bit more on like what that means, right? Because when, when some people might read that and be like, wait, so I gotta kind of have a status? Is that, is that what you're trying to tell me, or do I have to have a lot of publications, and that's how I then earn my merits to have this. What does that? What does that mean? That's a great question. In fact, interestingly, this week I was meeting with uh, some professors at Carnegie Mellon and University of Pittsburgh, and we're just discussing this topic of innovation. Now, academia talks about discovery of knowledge and so on, right? And and the way you so the most prestigious universities in the world, and I kind of talk about them, right? The MITs, Harvard's, Princeton's, the world, right? And and you have these top 10 
sort of universities in the world and actually as you will find out that the US has the eight of the top 10 right so i mean the american research universities is a fantastic enterprise that has been created right and bar none however the way that you get to that top list right is sort of tied to how professors get promoted or they get tenure right it's all about okay so we'll do discovery it's about the quantity of discovery new things right how do you do new things you publish a paper and again as i said i i have written 350 publications so one of the metrics is how many papers have you written right that's a metric but oftentimes you can get carried away oh i just wrote 2000 papers 3000 papers it's the quality of the papers that you try to look at and so the way academia measures quality is how many other people have referred to your work if you publish a paper and nobody cares right nobody writes the other paper based on it that is of no good so the way they measure it is through citations who has how many people have cited your work so in academia and i used to be a dean of engineering right the way we promoted people is sort of doing the number of how many publications quantity and the quality right how many people have cited and have people cited these are this top 10 journals in the world right have people cited your work in those publications so they can go really into that kind of thing and then i can kind of mention my book that the reason that the jennifer dudners or the len kleinox of the world don't do the products is because the promotion system the tenure system just only stops at that point right people work through incentives if academia changes the incentives to also do the technology transfer the impact you would see a lot more practical innovation coming from academia right i mean i talk in my book about professor nick mccon who who left stanford right he he invented the thing about software defined networking founded nicera networks sold it to vmware right i talk about uh, so many other uh, other professors like i mean sanjeev biswas right who is a phd student at, at mit he started uh, 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 i mean uh, nicera networks and so on. so so the point is that there are people very small number of people from the graduate students and 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 professors who actually go the way and they start companies and so on if there was more of it there was more technology transfer through that process you would see a lot more practical innovation coming after the university system today we have a lot of publications a lot of great discovery but not as much transfer so that's sort of point number one that i want to uh, mention here the second thing i kind of talk about quantification and so on right i mean in the world of startups right people think oh we'll, we'll just do patenting and so try to protect stuff and again those are ways to protect your business the ultimate metric is are people how many customers are using your product how much are they willing to pay that's the value the innovation value right and again you see, you know it when you see it but that's literally what you should be measuring right how how much impact to how many people mm-hmm. in the world let's be honest are you really checking all the cite- citations and, and <laughs> <laughs> no you don't have to answer that i'm just joking but no it you it's um it's funny because you gave me a flashback about that it's like when i have read countless papers i do check the citations like i go and i reference and it's like a, like a second nature habit right you're like oh well they've quoted a lot of people you know with the little numbers at each and end of each sentence where what's a little bit more depth and so it's funny you bring this up because you know some people might say like what is all this this is nonsense there's no value but there is value and it's important that people understand the why you have to do this right 
It's about referencing recognition, all the things that you did mention. So yesterday I was having a great discussion with the senior vice chancellor of research at University of Pittsburgh. And, and again, Rob Rutenberg, he's a good friend of mine. And they are trying to change the way, right? So rather than only counting publication, they are saying, what is the three most important impact that your research has made, right? Show that impact. And the impact can be, well, through publications or this company is doing this work and this product has been influenced and so on. And that's how, I mean, there's this engineering organization called the National Academy of Engineering. I mean, this is the most prestigious organization to be elected to. And their only criteria is your business impact, not the number of publications, not the number of citations. I wish more people, and that's sort of a challenge I throw in here, right? Uh, that more people in academia, as they're doing the money into science, they take care of, let's do the science, not for just the sake of science, but to have some societal or financial impact. The world would benefit a lot. What kind of shift do you think we need to get there? That's a great question. That is actually it will require shift in the way the academic leadership recognizes and rewards people, right? People work through incentives, right? So I used to be a dean of engineering. If all deans of engineering ask their faculty, we really want you to have impact, we'll not care as much for the quantity of publications, but the quality and, and the impact, that's going to change. The trouble is the current leadership, they kind of grew up with the old way of doing it, right? So it requires a cultural shift. And I am actually engaged in conversations at the highest levels, right? I, I'm serving on in a committee with sort of National Academy of Engineering and National Science Foundation. And NSF is just big, I wouldn't say because of it, but a, 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 an activity that I've sort of being part of it is NSF just announced a new directorate called TIP, Technology and Innovation and Partnerships. And Erwin Murchandani is the director of that. In fact, I, I interview him in, in chapter seven of my book on funding models. So NSF is recognizing this is a, a challenge and they're trying to change it. The way they fund their research will be based on, uh, on sort of impact. And they're trying to encourage more collaboration with industry. So NSF has got all this IURC Pro Industry University Collaboration, the Engineering Research Center. So there is a change afoot in the US, and I think this is going to happen in the long term. Awesome. So those folks that are brave enough or have the foresight to plan and do a startup, what advice, and you talked about a little bit in your book, what advice would you give those people that are taking those, those ideas that have been discovered in academia, and then they go and they make a startup company? Like what what are the key things that they need to think about to be successful with that? So I will actually thank you for asking the question because I made a lot of mistakes in my, my startups, right? And it's, as they say, right, it's, it's a learning process. So in academia, your thing is about always trying to discover new stuff and new stuff. So I, when I took leave from the university based on the match compiler at Northwestern, I started Excel chip, right? And I was a founding CEO and I and my the team members that were working were all my former graduate students. So I we were we showed a prototype of product to a customer and they said, Oh, can you do this? Right? So I'm just giving, hey, you did city, can you now understand Chinese? Oh yeah, sure. That's an interesting academic problem, right? So I told my team, let's do natural language understanding for Chinese. The next customer, they say, can you do Arabic? Oh, yeah, that sounds interesting. Let's do Arabic. So my point is, of course, that's not what we did. But <laughs> every time you talk to a customer, you see new customer problem. And it is so attractive to an academic. 
that you try to solve that problem, right? And in the process, you lose focus. So I burned through so much cash, the Series A cash, right? And I thought I was making progress because doing newer and newer features, but none of the features were good enough, robust enough to actually make it into a sellable product, right? So Series B happened. And at that time, I sort of learned through my mistakes and so on, right? And so oh, Mom, it is not about how much knowledge you're creating. Let's try to really have quantifiable business value, right? So yes, we're going to do this. But if I did this, will you buy the product, right? That's a different conversation. And not all academia, academic people can have this conversation because there are some, like my brother, he's a professor at UT Austin. He, he will never do a startup. He says, yeah, that thing's for you. So there are some individuals who have the knack, the passion to do this, to go all the way. But it's not meant for all academics. And I don't want to in any way imply that what academia does is, is wrong. Because as I said, the Moderna vaccine BioNTech wouldn't have happened without Jennifer Doudna, right? These people at Moderna did not invent the test, but you need both. But what I'm saying is there is this balance and, and you need some of these professors to do startups because technology transfer happens through the people, either the graduate student or the professor taking that technology and, and making it a startup. And I think this is a perfect segue into, you know, failures, right? Because you talked about like what you've learned and, and don't know that entire story, but you look at like, look, through Series A funding, we, like, I learned a lot, right? And so if you look at it, what are, can you reflect on like, what are some of the, what is, is there a big flop that stood out in your career that you've observed working with startups or you've experienced in your career? There actually have been have been many, and I'm and as they say, failures are the pillars of success, right? So when I was at <laughs> HP Labs, I was we were having lots and lots of very very interesting big batch projects and so on, right? So one of the coolest technologies that my researchers were working on was this thing called the Memristor, right? It's a it's a non volatile memory, right? So the memories that we use uh, in our computers are random access memories. I mean, you can have thirty two gigabytes of RAM, right, that, that you can randomly access, but they are what are called volatile, right? When you turn off the, the power, that memory gets erased. Disk memory, on the other hand, right, they can actually retain the memory even after this, is, and that's called non-volatile. The question is, could we do non-volatile but random access memory? So it was an absolutely cool invention, memory and so on. We thought it would make a lot of money for HP. Big flop. And that's at the core of what I kind of talk about, that when you have a central research lab like HP Labs and you're inventing things like the Memristor, unless you have a selling arm, that innovation is not going to fly because the salespeople at, at HP knew how to sell printers, copiers, servers, and, and so on, right? Uh, and laptops. They had no idea how to sell this Memristor stuff, right? So that was a flop. That was a big, aha, uh -huh. okay. So we did all this innovation, right? But I could not monetize it. HP couldn't monetize it. I felt really bad about it. And that highlighted the real problem that I will sort of, I read it right in my book that if you are going to do Horizon 3 innovation, you should do a central lab, but you have to give that that group a, a selling arm, treat it like an incubation. And hopefully in a future episode, I can talk about the details. That's, that's great. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, with that, we're going to close it out. 
and uh, see you next episode. Prith is going to come back for another episode. And again, Innovation Factory. Buy it. Read it. It's awesome. Never too early for holiday gifting. That's right. Thank you. Thanks. 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 Thanks.